This Wilder's Catch podcast is proudly brought to you by Audible. Do you find that you just don't have time to read all of the awesome books that you hear mentioned on the Wilder's Couch? Well, Audible might just have the answer. Audible is offering the Wilder's Couch listeners a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You can get books like Eat Right for Your Blood Type, Why We Get Fat by Gary Torbs, The Paleo Diet for Athletes, or even The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. So to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash the wellness couch. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash the wellness couch for your free audiobook. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within for 2016. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And look out, because today we have got a wicked sister on the call, the beautiful, the amazing Cindy O'Meara. She's back. Oh, it's so good to be back. I actually haven't even seen you yet, Karen, since I've been back. Um, I've seen Kim a couple of times because she works across the road from me, yes. so it's been hard not to see her. Uh, but I, I haven't seen you at all and you've had a birthday. And... I know, I know. Yeah. I turned 38. Oh, oh you old so girl, you. Oh, oh my I gosh. did. I turned 38 for the second time. It's going to it's, you know, like next year I'm going 37. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> do, you know, do you know, I met this lady and I swear she must have been in her late 60s by the way she was talking regarding her grandchildren and her life and everything. And she was a woman that was in a very serious accident and she had burns to most of her face and most of her body. And I met her at another speaking engagement in Brisbane and she came up to me after I'd spoken and she said, oh, I really love what you had to say. I really agree with what you're saying. And then she told me her story. And her story was that, and I was looking at her and she did not look like she had any burns to any part of her body. And she was telling me how she got rid of her burns and it wasn't through operations but it was through um, other means that she did it. And then she, somebody was hinting at something about her age and she says, I never tell anybody my age, not even myself, because I don't want my subconscious to realise where I am mm. because I want, and she looked youthful. She looked like she was in her 40s. She was absolutely amazing. So sometimes, you know, what you're doing, Karen, by <laughs> going backwards just might work. Well, initially, initially, I have to be honest, it's all out of pure vanity. But... <laughs> My sister actually had her um, a milestone birthday and she refused to let anybody say happy birthday for the number that she actually was. And so she turned 40. And I thought, well, you know, if she can turn 40 and she's older than me, I can turn 38. I can. I can do it. So I'm, I'm, I'm up for that and I am. And I'm, I'm going to do exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. I'm going to be the experiment to see whether we really do age gracefully or if we age out of conditioning. Yeah. There we go. Because we all have this conditioning that, uh-huh. you know, once you turn a certain age or once you go through menopause or once you do this, this is what happens to you. It's all downhill from there. And I'm like going... Bugger that. Yeah. I, I, uh-huh. I just think it would be 
I think it would be a good experiment to do that we don't say our age. Mm. And this woman, she has not, has not said her age in 20 years. And somebody says, oh, why don't you say your age? And she says, I don't want my subconscious to know how old it is. <laughs> I love it. And she's I, probably even forgotten. Yeah, look, look, maybe. And you know what? In cultures, in, in older cultures, in hunter-gatherers, in herding societies, in pastoralists, they have no idea of how many, how many years they are or how old they are. It's not important to them. It just seems to be in our culture that age is something that we talk about. Happy 21st, happy 18th. Maybe it's all about, uh, you know, when you turn 18, you get all those paraphernalia that you've turned 18. And then when you turn 21, you get the, the key. And, you know, by the time you're 40, you throw the key out and all the 18-year-old stuff you ever got. And then you go for your 40. I just... Oh, yeah. Or you throw all your keys in the middle and see who you go home with. Oh, that would be bloody right. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet you've done that, you tart. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. <laughs> ignorance, <laughs> ignorance, I see, I see. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, but, you know, the other thing I wanted to um, talk about today, and I, and I said to Kim and Karen that I wanted to surprise them with what I wanted to talk about because... If something happened to me while I was away uh, that really made me think about Karen Smith oh. and I, I want to explain what happened to me first and then why I immediately went to Karen. Oh, you're going to make me cry. I know what I'm um, already. Yeah. I can too. Good. Oh, truth. So, um, so I went away with the family and we went on a skiing holiday. And um, we were in unbelievable powder snow. So living in Australia, skiing in Australia, you don't get powder or you get very little powder. And I have skied all my life from the age of seven was when I started. I've spent seasons at the snow and I would call myself an expert skier and a very good skier at that. I can get down most slopes and look pretty good getting down that slope. So I'm um, skiing with my kids who are getting better and better and better than me because I've taken them to the snow every year. And there is powder to our chest. And I don't have the right equipment as far as my skis go, but I'm a fairly good skier, so I figure I can keep my tips up. That's T-I-P-S. Right. Oh, right. Yes. to clarify that. Yes, I did need to clarify my tips up. And I got down to the uh, down towards the bottom, and we'd been skiing for weeks, by the way. And I got down to the bottom this one day, and I was a little bit tired, and I let my tips go down, and I did a tumble in the snow, uh, and it, and it was very cold. And because it's so cold, not many people were out. We're in the back country a little bit. We're still in um, ski patrol area, but we were in the in, a little bit in the back where not many people were. My kids were ahead of me as well as some of their friends and I was just coming down, did the tumble and, uh, and everyone's going to be very angry with me but I don't wear a helmet and I never have and I've never seen any cause to. And I got hit by a flying ski in the back of my head uh, to the point where it didn't knock me out but it just about scalped the back of me. But I didn't know at the time that this had happened. But all I could see was that was nobody around. I had no skis. They were hidden by the, the snow and there wasn't a soul on that slope. And I looked into the snow and there was blood everywhere. Like it was mm. extraordinary. And blood on snow just magnifies. So 
I couldn't, eventually I saw somebody and I started yelling, please help me, help me, please help me, you know. I was scared. I have to tell you, I was really scared. And I put my hand on the back of my scalp and I took my hand away and it was just covered in blood and hot, oozing blood was coming out. It was like freaking me out. Anyway, the guy came up to me and he just said, look, how can I help? Can I call ski patrol? And I said, yes, please. And he looked at his phone and he couldn't because it was no signal. So he said, can you put your skis back on? And I said, I think so. So he helped me put my skis back on once she found them. And he took my poles and he took everything because I was in a little bit of state of shock, I think. And I, I had both of my hands at the back of my head and I could feel my head swelling to the size of greater than my palm. And as I skied down, my kids were waiting for me and they saw me and I was eventually taken by ski patrol to um, to get stitched up and I got six stitches in the back of my head and like we're at six weeks now and I can just lay on a pillow now on the back of my head. Mm-hmm. But I started to consider being hit in the head and the blood and I was in a pretty safe environment. I was being helped by ski patrol. My kids were there. I had emergency there I was in a clean environment in America and I was well looked after but as I'm being stitched up I start thinking of Karen Smith and and I'm crying now Karen because um I felt like such a, a baby that I I had I was scared and I thought about you and what you went through in Bali I actually got an inkling I don't think I'd ever got an inkling of what you went through and the the head injury that you got the environment you were in the the situation that you were in I actually got this amazing awe of you Miss Karen and I had to text her um, that day and tell her how I felt about that I had no idea but I got an inkling of it and the strength and the courage that it takes for you to go through what you went through. Um, And I just, yeah, I did. I text her and I, um, and yeah, I, I just, I want the world to know what she obviously went through to get to this point. And, and don't ever, ever, Karen Smith, ever not believe in what your ability is as, a human being and the courage and heroism that you must have gone through in order to do what you did. So that was, that's what I want to tell people and let people know. And you know that because I, I text you immediately. And, and she said to me, I can hear she's crying, so I'm going to keep talking. So she said to me, she texted me back and she said to me, I really needed to hear that today. I really needed to realise that, you know, I have... You had done something quite extraordinary. I wish I could get the text. It was a lot more humility than that. But, um, yeah. What, are you there, Kimmy? Do you want to add anything to that? Were you both crying? Is that what happened? <laughs> um, look, I think it's not until it's like anything. It's not until we walk in the shoes of another or even imagining, imagine walking in the shoes of another that we really have no idea. Um, and that's probably why, I mean, someone's story like Karen's, every time you and I hear it, Cindy, we cry. Every time she tells it to the point where I think Karen's got, I know she's admitted publicly she's got bored telling her story, but 
I actually probably um, would like to say that I pray she never gets bored telling it because, you know, or that it changes in a way that it's no longer bored because what happens when any of us do um, hurt ourselves or, for instance, I, I cracked my head open, <laughs> not just recently, but when I first heard Karen speak, I remember thinking of splitting my head open and the pain and the stitches and the 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 sheer thwack and seeing stars. I, I literally saw, saw stars and the blood that comes out of your head. I remember thinking, and the weird thing about my situation was two days beforehand, everyone kept saying to me, what do you want for Mother's Day? And I said, you know what? And I had young babies at the time. I'd give anything to have a day in bed. I'd give anything for a whole day in bed. Well, I tell you what, the universe gave it to me, but I realised I should have been a little bit more specific in my request of it being a pampering day, not everyone watching that I'm not losing consciousness and also with a massive throbbing headache. So um, when Cindy shared with me what had happened, I instantly thought, obviously, of my own situation and how your life kind of flashes past you in one of those, when you know it's worse than just a knock on the corner of a cupboard and you actually know that it's, you know, going to require medical attention, it has a different emphasis again. And, and I think you look at your mortality in a far different way. So to then put yourself into someone like Karen's position who had gone there for a whole set of different reasons and then to have her life basically blown up in front of her, to then run for her life, to then save other people's lives, and then to get on a plane lying through her teeth, knowing that the injury was so bad that she may not be allowed on it, but putting herself in I still to this day, I've got goose pimples all over, goose pimples all over me right now. Just, it is, and Cindy, you're right, the the telling of the story and even you now I'm back there again so um, I think more than anything this topic of conversation if nothing else is a absolute stark reminder of what it means to be fully appreciative of our health and fully engaged with what it means to be living and it makes me feel very mindful and reflective um, even in challenging times so Karen, you will never, ever probably fully appreciate that your courage to tell your story, what it does to all of us on another whole level, and particularly those of us that have had minor, really, compared to yours, head injuries, just what a, a beautiful, um, amazing, courageous soul you truly are. Mm, yeah, definitely. I, I, and I still get... Um, you know, I still remember how fearful I was, but I had all the help in the world. And you just, um, I, I don't know how you did it. I actually don't. I i know we step up to the plate and I know you say that, Karen. I know you, you say, you know, you fought to live, even though what you went for was a different reason, but you fought to live. And I like, how many stitches did you get now? Um. I had um, 38 staples. Oh, and then yeah. I got. And With then, no anaesthetic. Yeah, and then I got 42 mm. um, stitches when they did the, did the operation. <clears throat> they, were, they were talking about staples to me, and all I could think of was a staple gun. <laughs> and it is, it is a staple gun. Oh. Remember Frank? Just like that. 
Yes. Goodness gracious me! I tell you, I haven't sobbed like that for ages, and I did. I didn't realize I didn't have myself on mute. So I'm sorry, everybody, if you heard me <laughs> sniffing and snorting and carrying on, having such a sob. And I think that the part that makes me sob so much, and it takes my breath away, so I can't bear to think that you would feel like you were feeling, Cindy. It's like it's too much for me to handle. Like I just cannot bear to think of you frightened like that or to mm-hmm. think of you in pain like that. It's like it, it's enough to bring me to my knees. Yeah. So it's not, yeah, right. it's not tears for what I went through. It's just it's more that I just I can't bear to think that you would go through that. And when you sent me the text message, it, it just absolutely stopped me in my tracks. It totally just... It was like the world stood still and everything just went white. Yeah. I think empathy and really understanding what went through, what would have been going through your mind really hit me more. Like I always cry at your talks. I always do. (laughs) It just doesn't not happen. But that was a real awakening of it. And then when I get home and I'm talking to Kim about it and Kim says, oh, I got six stitches too, I went... Oh my God, we're twins. <laughs> we both had hair dripping. You know, so I don't, um, you know, it's just, it's weird. But I'm only just being able to lay on those stitches now. All the stitches are out now. But I'm only able, and I'm thinking, you had so many. How the hell did you sleep? How did you get that head on the pillow? Like these are the these were the questions that are going through my head. I've got six. You had that many, and I, like I knew you had a lot. I just couldn't remember the number. Mm. I, you know, you just. You blow me away that you did that, and you, and I know there are a lot of people out there that have just been through, you know, um, just amazing things. Um, I just, for some reason, at the moment, there seems to be a lot of, mm-hmm. um, of this happening. Like, um, I, you know, I swim with a group of people, and. Uh, one of the guys that swims, not with the Malulabar Beach Bums, but he always swims around the same, same time as the Malulabar Beach Bums. A couple of weeks ago, so I'd only been home a little while, a couple of weeks ago he's walking ahead of um, Ricky and I were swimming and we were with, um, I don't remember who we were with, but um, we were chatting away and Ricky could see there was some disturbance happening ahead of us and um, we get to the point where the disturbance was happening and it had disappeared. And we were told by the other beach bums that uh, one of the guys had fallen to his knees and then face-planted um, just for no reason at all. And the guy that he was walking with uh, started yelling and just so happens 100 metres ahead of them were the emergency care doctors that I swim with. And they raced back, turned him over, and he had stopped breathing. Oh, wow. And, of course, assessed him immediately. Immediately, Ogilvy, who's with, um, who, who was the emergency care doctor that I knew, starts pumping his chest, um, calls to people to get the defibrillator. So we're, we're only 200 metres from the surf club. We've got three emergency care doctors right with him. You've got surf lifesavers and paramedics there with him, but only by chance because we're just there. And he, I think they defibrillate him twice or three times, I think it is, and they pump him twice or three times, I can't remember which one it is, and basically 
bring him back to life and send him off in an ambulance. Yeah. Now, 10 minutes before, if that didn't happen and he was in the water, he would not have survived because he would have gone down. No, And nobody puts probably, maybe not swimming around. Like this morning I was swimming and I was swimming by myself. Even though everyone's around me, I was at least 100 metres from anybody else. So you kind of go, that man wasn't meant to go. And the angle that the ski hit me, if it had hit me at another angle, it probably would have knocked me out. Yeah, absolutely. If, you know, and I think about you, Karen, the two girls, you know, your two beautiful friends that were right at your nose. Mm. And they passed and you didn't. Mm. And you, you kind of look at, like I, and, and then I've had all these flashbacks of, I remember you being hit by a truck as a pedestrian, as a 19-year-old. Oh, and I think, and I've got the scar under my chin to prove it, but I got clipped by him. Another step forward and I would have been slammed by him. I got clipped um, by his rear vision mirror. So, or something that was out hanging out of it. And I just kind of go, there's, there's reasons why we're here and why we're not. And because of what happened, I started reading Anita Morjani's book, uh, Dying to Be Me, again. Mm. Because I think of her that she's in a coma. She's on her last breaths and she has that near-death experience. And did we have asked you, Karen, did you have a near-death experience? Did you see anything? Did you experience anything? Um, to be honest, at the time, I, I didn't know. I was unconscious for a little while, but I think it, it's become clearer as the years have gone on, the things that I came back with that didn't make sense to me then. Mm. I remember sitting with my mum when I was in the hospital and I um, said to her, I know who we are. I know who we are. I saw it. I know who we are. And she said to me, who, who are we, darling? Who are we? <laughs> and I said, I said it's, 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 all, it's as if we're all these angelic beings. We just don't have our wings. That's why we don't recognize each other as that. But that's, that, that's who we are. And it's like I don't have the language to describe it, but I can feel it. I can feel who we are and I know it and I know that that's who we are. It's like I, I saw it all. And um, I didn't really know how to explain it back then. And as the years have gone on and my own personal development has been so incredibly guided, um, the language has become a little bit clearer for me. But, you know, I think that part for me is going to be an ongoing discovery of, you know, because there are things that I know I know and the, Karen, lang and the language for them sometimes escapes me. Karen, can I ask you, um, we didn't know what Cindy was going to talk about today no. until, <laughs> until she started talking and she purposely told us that she wasn't going to do that. Mm. Um, as you heard her recounting that, what's it like, A, when you hear someone tell their story like that, like obviously it triggered emotions, but secondly, if it triggers emotions, what do you do with those emotions without reliving it and it ruining your life, basically? Because we know many people have shocking experiences in their lives and, um, and with the minute they hear a sound or smell that smell or hear that whatever it is, there's, a, there's an instant feeling of perhaps being back in it, which for many people can become incredibly destructive. Mm -hmm. And that can be on a very superficial level or a very, very deep hurt level. My question to you is how did, how did you feel hearing Cindy say that? And then what's your advice or thoughts around 
how to move through that now because I do know you used to hear bangs of a car backfiring or a popper going off or something and it used to instantly um, create that feeling in you again. Can you talk us through that? Good question. Um, well, as Cindy was telling us the story, my first inclination was feeling how she felt um, and the only you know, relationship that I've got to that is my own feeling of it and then to think if she was to go through that, that that's too much I could, and, and because I can't get to her I feel hopeless and I feel a little bit helpless because I can't get to her even now, like we're on Skype and I can't get to her <laughs> um, and <laughs> so I there's that, there's that side of it but the part, you know, that's got me to being able to be coherent again now, I think um is to just know that this is the now. That experience occurred, but it occurred in a past time. And the now is the now. And right now I'm sitting in my lounge and I can hear the rain and I can hear your voices and I know that everybody is safe logically. So what happens, what, what happens with us when we go through something traumatic like that? There's the mental experience, there's the emotional experience, and then there's the cellular experience and obviously the physical um, and what gets triggered is the emotional experience which lives inside of the body and it's very, you know, like it, it's something that you almost can't control. So over time it does take the mind to be able to be strong enough to say, is this still occurring? Am I still going through that? No. Is everybody safe? Yes. Can I still appreciate the texture and the richness of the emotion that I just felt for what it is? Yes. Do I know that I'm okay now? Yes. And then keep keeping myself in the now. And that allows me to never, you know, and, and I choose to never forget because I think we can do better than that. I think we can do much better than forgetting our experiences or just moving beyond them or putting them behind us. I think we can do better than that. I think that our experiences can serve as a vehicle for becoming something more becoming a richer person or a more, you know, uh, expanded person. And when I say richer, I mean richer in experiences. If we're willing to see our experiences that way, but that does, you know, it definitely takes work and it takes effort because the first inclination is to go into meltdown. And I'm no different. I go, I, my first inclination is to go into meltdown. But I think over the years, because I've, told my story so many times and I've worked with so many thousands of people who've got stories that make my hair stand on end um, it's more to, to be honest it's, it's about self-discipline because to go into the pain and the suffering and to live there that's tantamount to depression and I'm of no help to anybody if I'm depressed and I think that the same is true for all of us if we've all gone through anything traumatic we're of no help to ourselves, and we're of no help to anybody else if we're to continually recreate the experience, the emotional experience, the physical experience, the cellular experience, over and over and over again. The experience occurred for the time that it occurred. And then beyond that is the, the learning and the growth and the expansion as a result of that experience, if we choose it. But it, it, it definitely takes a little bit of mental toughness to... Um, to be able to do that, for sure. Mm -hmm. 
you know. I mean, it's not, it, it, it takes effort. It's not hard. It's not hard to do it because I think our natural state is peace. But it definitely takes effort. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And anybody who's listening to the call or to the show today, you know, if you've got any questions for me about that, goodness gracious me, please don't leave it. Make sure that you send a message through our Facebook group or you leave a note or, or uh, on the, the websites that I'm going to share with you at the end of the show. Because I think everybody deserves to have peace of mind regardless of what's occurred in their life and because of what's occurred in their life. And I think if a person spends more than six minutes on bended knee, we're wasting time. Hello. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> um, we're listening. We're listening. We're like mesmerizing. Oh, um, because I think, Karen, look, I've heard you say before too that, you know, for God's sake, I took, you know, I took the bomb for everybody, wake up to this kind of thing. Um, would you say there's a fine line I find for people I don't know about you girls but when I watch someone who's faced with adversity a challenge, an injury, an illness or whatever and I see them you know, obviously in despair or grief or whatever it is around there what totally floats my boat or unbelievably surprises me and inspires me is to see them front up with that, um, take ownership and actually work on it and be real and vulnerable and, and be honest with what they're feeling. Um, an example, my beautiful mother-in-law, when... You know, it's, it's actually 11 years today to the day that we're recording this that we lost her beautiful daughter, my sister-in-law. And um, today's always a weird day um, for us. And I'm sure for many people on the anniversary of anything, you tend to do the build-up. I don't know if anyone else does this, but I remember the days before, the weeks before, the you know, the, the certain triggers that remind me in the lead-up to it. But... You know, here's this beautiful woman who we've had on the show before and I encourage you to listen to her show. Um, we were sitting at the ballet and, and this music came on and, and I just looked over thinking she was smiling, but in fact she was really sobbing. And, um, and then when I put my hand on her lap, she just put her hand on my hand. And at the end of the performance of that song, she stopped and she just wiped her eyes and then carried on. And at the break, I said to her, were you okay? And she said, oh, look, I've just really learned to feel the feelings and to feel the emotion of what I feel. And that song really triggered me because it was a, a song for my, that, that my daughter and I, that Zara and I shared. And then she said, but I've also learned that to stay wallowing in that or to stay in a place of um, extreme discomfort with the emotions or to actually really lose it entirely and try and hide from the pain or avoid it or, or do whatever, I've also learned is more damaging than being real and then allowing myself the moment but reminding myself that this too shall pass and that I pull myself back together again and, and carry on and be, I guess what she called it, is being really present. So right here, right now, I've just witnessed a beautiful ballet performance. It triggered these emotions, but right, and I'm feeling it, and now I'm back. And, and I don't know about you girls, but whenever I think of that, 
it is so inspiring and powerful because we've all got pains and we've all got triggers and we've all got things that have probably occurred in our lives that we wished hadn't. But uh, And I think the thing that I've learned from you too, Karen, is you're never going to change that. So you find a way through the through the tapestry of it to find a way that actually makes sense to you to allow yourself, forgive yourself, be gentle with yourself. But then also there's almost an element of kicking yourself up the butt and not staying in that. Is I don't know if I'm articulating it right, but is that how you would, or can you give me your words around that? No, I think that I think that's that's spot on. I think that um, you know we try to we try to give meaning to everything. Like we try to explain everything and give it a purpose and give it a reason so that it kind of makes sense to us. Um, you know, like this happened for that reason, or this has happened for this reason. Or I look at my experiences and I think, well, it had to happen so that I would make a contribution in the lives of others, and I would, you know be a bigger person and a better person out of it so I you know we try to we try to make rhyme and reason out of things and that's all well and good and great because it 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 really helps to reconcile a situation if we do have a meaning for it but also in that meaning it's a little bit it, 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 it kind of traps the way that we respond to it because when we give something a meaning like that, then that's the only response that we can have to it. Whereas if, if, if it was ever possible, and I don't even know if it is, but if it was ever possible, where we could look at an experience like a bomb blast or like Cindy's experience in the snow or like a suicide, we could look at them all as experiences, not one is worse than another. You know, because we're only, who, who says who says that one is worse than another? The emotional experience and the cellular experience feels exactly the same way. So who says it's worse? And if we could all just come to the, 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 the platform of experience is just experience and notice it keeps happening. We can't, we can't stop these things from happening. I mean, they just happen by chance. They happen by accident or they happen by choice. But either way, they're always happening. So if we're to look at it logically and remove all the societal conditioning about it, we can say, well, experience is just experience. So if it's just experience, then let me be in the experience, let me revel in the experience, and let me move on from the experience because there's another one waiting. And who knows, it could be a really awesome one or it could be another challenging one, but it's still going to be another experience. You can't escape experiences while you're in the skin. And I think... As time's gone on for me, I've certainly looked at my own life that way in experiences, simply experience. Some of them come with a bit of a sting, of course, and it takes me a couple of days sometimes to even get to that understanding. But experience is just experience. It doesn't matter whether it's, it's, it's a good experience or a bad experience, whether I've got plenty of money or I've got no money or I've been blown up or I haven't, you know, it's none of that. It's really just experience and that's the nature of life. So while ever we're here, one thing is for sure, we will be experiencing. So let us not invest all of our energy into the meaning of the experiences and the dragging of previous experiences around with us. Because the sooner we can 
get up and heal and move on, the next experience occurs. But if we're still dragging the last 40 years worth of experiences with us, that makes every experience compounding. And it makes life a very heavy and uh, unpleasant and a very depressing world to live in. So I think if, if, if there's anybody listening that can even hear what I'm saying, then I take my hat off to you because I don't even know if it's possible for all of us to get to that stage where we don't buy into the psychological drama that we've been, I guess, conditioned to believe that one experience is worse than another or one experience is good and one experience isn't. The fact of the matter is you look back on your lives from the day you were born, you've been experiencing shit stuff. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> so if we, the quicker we can come to terms with that, the quicker we can be in the experience, get the learning from the experience, revel in whatever is present, and then when that is no longer present, be in a state of waiting for the next experience. And, you know... It would be much better to be in a state of waiting and allowing because if the law of attraction is anything, then in the state of allowing and the state of preparation and the state of, the, the state of readiness attracts experiences that are enriching and, and, and empowering and feel good more so than experiences that compound on top of an already broken and depressed existence. So... You know, we don't know if the law of attraction works or it doesn't work, but hell, I mean, you know, you'd rather, you'd rather spend your life believing that it did and the possibility that it does rather than it doesn't and then live a life in an existence of compounding sadness over the years. But, you know, at the same time too, what I'm saying is very much, it's, it's easier said than done and I of all people understand that. And I think I've done a lot of work to get to where I am right now. And as I say, I, I hope I've taken one for the team. And I hope that there are some people who are listening to today's show that can go, yep, I'm ready. I've been on bended knee for six years, 16 years or 60 years. And today it ends. And, and one thing I always remember Cindy saying, she told a beautiful story once. And I, I share this every time I speak about a man who lost his son. And he was at a funeral and somebody came up and said to him, aren't you, aren't you sad? And he said, you know what? The day's going to come where I'm going to have to get over this. Why not today? Mm-hmm. And he got it. He really got it. Because while ever we're here, life will not stop. The world does not stop because somebody hurts themselves or somebody passes away or we lose a dog or somebody has cancer. Life does not stop. It keeps mm-hmm. going. So if we can stop placing so much importance and meaning and drama and psychological drama onto everything that happens in our lives, not only will we have a far more peaceful existence, we'll be able to be in a state of creativity, but creating what we want rather than dragging around what we don't. Oh, I think that sounds tweetable. Mm. Oh, that was a tweetable. <laughs> that was a bloggable. <laughs> Hashtag tweetable. Hashtagable, yes. Actually, uh, just, just going on from that, um, Karen, Fleur in New Zealand um, sent Kim this um, amazing 16-minute audio, which has been doing the rounds, obviously, and um, I'm just been trying to find, because um, Kim has actually 
done the whole transcription or transcribe this audio. And I was just trying to find it because what you were basically saying I think was a little bit in this audio and it was um, Esther Hicks. Oh, okay. and, I haven't um, listened to it. I, you did send it to me, Kimmy, but I haven't even listened to that I, yet. Oh, my gosh. It is just stunning. And perhaps we could put a link to it because mm. it's Esther Hicks downloading Abraham and Abraham is talking about the ease of life and the vibration of life and um, to know you're in the right place at the right time and to, I wish I could find the Word document. It must be on my other computer. Kimmy, do you have it? Oh, yeah, I've got it here. Which, do you want me to read part of it? Do you want just, me to read just, it? it? Well, why not? Oh, it's, it, it's, it's too long. It's a fair, but she says it and she talks and she says it and eight minutes goes so fast. I just, mm. it's like a minute to me. Mm. Maybe um, take some extracts from it because I think sometimes we think we're in the wrong place at the wrong time or that wasn't meant to happen or that, and you hear people say that, that wasn't meant to happen. That's not, no, we, we didn't want our life to go that way. That, you know, I that wish person, it would hurry up. I wish it would hurry up or I'm in the wrong place or I'm living somebody else's life. I'm not living my life. or. Oh, yeah. Dark, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the parts. I mean, the reason why I transcribed it is because I listened to it about ten times, mm-hmm. and um, for someone like me, I like to read it as well. And there was nowhere written on the internet that it was transcribed, so I just spent an hour one night before I went to bed and listened to it. And it's really powerful writing, and mm-hmm. I'm very happy to share this on our page. But. Um, Basically, she started off, she was answering a man. When you listen to the audio, you can go straight to 8 minutes 30 to hear Abraham download or you can listen to the story leading up to it, which is actually interesting in itself. But um, she says, I love the ease of my world. I love knowing what I know about vibration. I love knowing that it's about frequency and I can focus. I love the ease that I'm able to frequently accomplish. I love setting this time aside in order to find this feeling of ease. I so love knowing the laws of the universe. I so love understanding my vibrational nature. I so love my understanding of focus and momentum. I love that I can begin this day in a vibration of well-being and ease. I really like knowing that source is surrounding me and everyone else that all who I love is surrounded by this ease. And she goes on for four pages. It's just... Mm, it's just um, stunning. Beautiful. Oh, amazing. Yeah, look, it really is. It's, and it's one of... The, and she speaks... I don't know. I, I, it mesmerised me. I was driving, actually, at the time, and um, I put the audio on and... I listen, you know, there's a preamble, eight-minute preamble before she does the eight minutes of um, her downloading Abraham. And the preamble is quite interesting as well, but it's this this beautiful thing that she says. Um, I think what makes it so engaging, you know, all three of us have spoken like this before that, um, and I'm sure our listeners have heard each of us do this, and um, it's almost like you go so in to what you're saying that you actually don't realise what you've said or it's like a download or it's like you're not even present. And I'm sure even those of our listeners that aren't even speakers 
have found themselves in that kind of vortex of um, incredible um, ability to speak such wisdom with such grace and ease that you actually surprise yourself sometimes. And I think that's what is so engaging when you listen to the audio is she has just got really present, obviously, to the to the story and the and the preamble. And and like any of us, when you are that, when you are non-negotiable, when you are that aware, when you are that present of of the meaning of what it is you're trying to articulate, it just flows. And this is where she says exactly what you said, Karen, without you even knowing that this is what's happening. She says, and I am so appreciative of the life experience that I have lived that's caused me to focus upon some things that are really important to me. And right now I can feel that this is my step three moment. This is when I really understand what allowing source energy to flow to me and through me is. And I'm eager to get on with step four, and I'm doing a little bit every day. And, and just so the listeners, don't worry about the steps threes and steps fours. Just kind of listen to what she's actually saying. So she says, but step three is where I reside right now. This is the work for me to do. So there's no impatience on my part because there isn't anything for me to do. I'm not being called to do something I am not ready to do. In fact, I will never be called to do something that I am not ready to do. And when I try to push myself to do something that I'm not ready to do, that's where the vibrational imbalance comes in. So nice to know that Source has my back. So nice to know that the things that matter to me are underway. And so nice to know that my work is to hold this place, to hold this knowing and not to try to take the role of Source not to try and be all things to all people, not to try to be the heart of any movement in the sense of action. That to be, that to be the vibrational heart of the, the movement that is being asked for by the masses. I understand that I am not the only one who put desire in my vortex. There are hundreds of thousands of millions and billions of people who have put desire in their vortex. That I am helping as I find and I own this vibrational place of allowing source energy to do what source energy knows how to do. I'm in the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing. And I'm loving my exposure to this life and what it provides for me. Oh, isn't that and, bliss? Well, that's exactly what you said. That's what blows me away. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just, I'm reading it going, oh. that's just exactly what she was talking about. So, oh, that's just heavenly yeah yeah look it is yeah it's beautiful to hear it back and then like like well not back but it's beautiful to hear that in somebody else's words so my figure oh my goodness that's heavenly Mm. it is mesmeric yeah it is it's very like I've listened to it many times too and then and I read it every night now Mm. and I just I just find it's, I don't know what it is that has attracted me to this piece. Now, it's quite funny at the moment. In the last six to eight weeks, and this is even before um, I had um, that accident with the ski, before that ski hit me, um, <laughs> I had been been sick of reading nutrition and listening to nutrition, and, and I just started to go into another focus, and that was, uh, I was listening to this um, podcast that was all about death and dying. And it may have been because I lost my dog 
um, in uh, November this last year. And um, it, it, look, it may have been that that got me thinking about, well, what about animals? Where do they go? What, what is the purpose of their life? And, and I started to listen to this podcast and I just, he's got, I don't know how many podcasts this guy's got, but he, he does nothing but death and dying, near-death experiences. He interviewed Anita Mojani. He's interviewed um, Alexander Eben, is it? Alexander Eben, the guy that yeah. wrote the book Proof of Heaven. Yeah. So he's, he interviews all these people on, on this it's, topic. It's called Afterlife TV with Bob Olson. Yeah. That's the podcast if anybody wants to listen to it, Afterlife TV with Bob Olson. Yeah, and he's, he's got some good ones to go back to and I love the animal one and mm. I think that really helped me when, when Obi passed away, um, which is my dog, you know, our beautiful dog. And, and, you know, you think, oh, it's just a dog, but he's no. not. There was so much more to it and... Um, and I know Karen loves her furry animals oh, so yeah. much, her he furry babies. Family. Obi's family. Mm. <laughs> he yeah. was family. He was definitely family. And it was, a, it was a tough week. And what was amazing is how many dogs um, or animals seem to have passed in that week. Or maybe I was just in that vibration and was hearing about it. I don't know what it was. I think there was a lot. I think, you know, I, I've actually found it quite interesting this year that there's been so many people leave the planet and so many animals leave the planet. Yeah, remember, the, remember there were three um, stars that left the planet yeah. one week and then it was another three. So I think there was David Bowie, there was um, Snape, <laughs> or the Sheriff of Nottingham, um, <laughs> I forgot his name. There was um, one of the guys from the Eagles, there was uh, who out? There were six that died over the over a yeah, month. Yeah, that are well known and have brought something to all of our lives. Um, I know Eagles are my favourite band, and yeah. that was just Bizarre. yeah. That was, it was uh, there was those three, but there were another three that went before that, and I can't remember who they were. But anyway, um, yeah, there just seemed to be a lot. And I heard Joe Cocker just died. Yeah, I heard that too. What? Yeah, yeah, Joe Cocker. Yeah, Joe Cocker died. He passed away. Um, yeah, just in, and and people that have made a difference in their in their arts and the music and acting. It was all in the arts. All of the ones that have passed away had something to do with the arts. Can't even believe it. And I tell you what, the um, our younger listeners probably won't even know who Joe Cocker was. But let's just say he has True. a most amazing voice. Mm. Like it was a real raspy, gravelly, strong voice. What were some of the songs that he used to sing? I can leave my hat on. Oh, that's what I was just thinking. Oh, you are so beautiful. You are so beautiful. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But people who haven't heard it, go on. After you've finished listening to this, Go and put it on YouTube and put Joe Cocker, You Are So Beautiful. Oh, my gosh. It's just, it, it's, um, it gives you goosebumps. Okay, so can I come back to you two darlings after um, this beautiful rave? I'd love to ask you both just some practical go-tos because a lot of people would look at you guys and think that you've got all your shizzle in the bag and you're absolutely all over it like a fat kid on a smiley. My gosh, I felt like I was Karen Smith in those two sentences. <laughs> um, 
but can I ask you both, um, you know, you were talking before before about experiences, Karen, and we're going to have more experiences depending on what those are will depend on the moment that they occur. What would you both do? How do you both confront um, devastating news or news that, you know, wakes you at four o'clock in the morning or as Marlon Brando so eloquently puts it, you know, when the meat cleaver comes down? How what, do you guys have a method? Do you have a a thing that you do? Do you react? Are you a flapper? Are you a, a what do you what do you describe both of yourselves in <laughs> crisis mode and then describe yourselves how you come out of it? Cindy, you go first. <laughs> Drop everything and run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And when it comes to my kids, I'm a flapper. When it comes to my kids, I'm an absolute flapper. But when it comes, I think, to other people, I think I've I've got it. I'm a little bit more calmer. I'm able to do everything. Like Howard just laughs at me when it's the kids because he'll say something and I'll repeat it. So you need me to do this, do you? Yes, Cindy, go and get it. Okay, so you need me to get that, do you? Oh, bless your little heart. So I, I'm a bit of a flapper when it comes to them, but when it comes to um, other people, I, I I'm pretty. I, pre- I think I'm pretty good in a crisis situation as far as um, following orders. If someone's telling me to follow orders, or um, I'm just trying to think of, of crises that I've been in. So, so what do you do? Not even if it's. So, what about if someone's in a crisis, or what would you be like if you saw an accident happen in front of you, or someone's just told you tragic news? What's your go-to? What's your default if it's not around your children? I'm a flapper. Yeah, Ooh. just let's just face it. <laughs> <laughs> and there it is. I was waiting. <laughs> Was that a leading question? Our kids, our families go, Oh, if all those amazing women and men could see you now, or you know, they That's you know it's like, you might think we've got it all together, but my gosh, I think we all flap in our own way. That's <laughs> gorgeous. <laughs> it was almost like you led Cindy to that. Yes, I am a flapper. Like I watch my husband; he's unbelievable. He's like in a crisis situation. He's who you want to be with. Yeah, he's he's a doctor. I trust me. I'd rather be with him than you any day. Oh, you're hilarious. (laughs) No disrespect. Yeah, and it, it was like like when I was to be stitched up. So the doctor was going through, okay, you, you know, you could have a subdural hematoma oh. and, and, you know, we need to probably monitor you for the next 24 hours. And, you know, so she's going through all this with me and I'm like, oh, my God, subdural hematoma, that doesn't sound good, whatever. And then so Howie walks in, he looks at it and he goes, stitch her up, she'll be fine. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Yeah. Let's just say that a little bit more empathy would have oh, been nice. such a chiropractor. <laughs> he was. He just said, stitch her up, she'll be fine. But, you know, like I know when he said that, he took command and there was no questioning, does she need to go and have an ECG or what, I don't know what it was that I had to have? Does she need to go to emergency? Do we really need to do this? Or 
she didn't get knocked out. She's showing no neurological um, issues because he watched um, the doctor do all the tests. So she's showing no, you know, neurological things. And he looked at the scrape and it looked like it hadn't hit straight on and it had been a scalping, so it had come, you know, Ooh. come down. And she, apparently she had to unflat my skin <laughs> to stitch it up, apparently. I didn't, don't ask me. I, I Thank God it was in the back of my head. Oh. I can't see it. I don't know. All I know what it feels like and that's it. So, you know, he, and as soon as he was authoritative and goes, stitch her up, it'll be fine. You know, I, I, I really appreciated that. And the other thing that I was talking to um, some emergency, the emergency um, doctors and some paramedics is that even though they know the person is going to die, they will give them every assurance that they're okay. Mm. They don't ever falter. They are always reassuring and taking command and, it was, I, it was really interesting um, talking to these guys that, you know, you, you're not going to say, well, shit, guys, you got, oh, excuse me. Um, <laughs> guys, I don't feel guys, so bad now. There, there is no hope for you. You know, you're about to die. Let's just, you know. No, they don't. They, uh, and I, I think, that, you know, that's what Howie's like. He's just reassuring. He takes command. And I'd like to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> I can see your face right now. <laughs> what about you, Karen? What are you doing? What about you, Karen? I think I'm the same. I think I'm the same. If it comes to my dogs, I'm a basket case. Um, you know, when Jet's been unwell or Sophie had a little accident when she was a baby, I couldn't see straight. And I just go into this stressed single vision tunnel and I can only see like a pinprick. It's all <laughs> it's like the black just closes in and I can just see a pinprick. So I'm smacking into walls, banging into the, <laughs> falling downstairs, trying to get to Sophie as I can hear her screaming in the back of the house. And I can't see where I'm going, so I'm just following sound. Honestly, it just cracks me up as I think of that. But when it's somebody else, I am the person you want to be with. Like if there's anybody else in a crisis or if there's anybody else going through something, I'm the one. I'm clear. I'm, I'm a, I am such a cucumber. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've just got the cucumber thing. Yes. Yeah, cool, oh, I just, cool as a cucumber. But if yes, it's, if I realised that. But there was, a, there's a, there was a thing I saw on the back of a car once. If only cucumbers could take rubbish out, there'd be no need for men at all. <laughs> Well, now we're on to another subject. So let's get on to that. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? What are you? Yeah. I don't know. I was going to ask you, Cindy. I think I'm a bit like you girls when it comes to my kids um, or my husband. My heart goes a million miles an hour. and But I have, I think over time, I think I have learnt to not maybe flap as much as I would have in the past. In fact, when a counsellor said to me years ago, whenever you're in a crisis, try with your children around you, try and show them how you can, how it is possible to deal in a sense of calm. And those words just seem to really sit with me. And now it's like, well, if, if, if you were on national television and someone was watching you, how it's not about caring what other people think. I just mean how to get clarity around in a situation that's pretty horrific. I know if I see an animal injured, oh, yeah. I am even even hitting a bird on a windscreen, or if I, 
if I ever, if, if I've hit an animal, oh my God, I'm a mess. I'm an mm-hmm. absolute mess. I can't bear the thought of me ruining a family of kangaroos or a family of birds that I've just taken their mother away from them. So I can't bear it. I can't stand the thought of it. Um, and then with my children, I think I'm very aware that if I stay calm, they are calmer. And if I'm you know, if I'm better, I, I dare say I don't know what I'd be like if I saw one of them really badly injured. Let's hope I never have to witness that. So I don't know. I probably am a flapper at the beginning, but maybe as I've got older, I've learned to, to calm that a bit. I tell you what, I always have oils with me. So my <laughs> first thing is always, and sometimes I don't even get the spritzer out. It is, I am literally, if I could shove the bottle of lavender out my nostril, I will do it because I have also learned through yoga and Ayurvedic teachings that the more you breathe, the better decisions you make, the better outcome. And I'm not thinking all of this in the crisis, obviously, but my go-to is to breathe. And if I've got oils there, I will reach for it. I'll be fumbling in my bag looking for it because I think that becomes a crutch in itself to actually get myself, my, 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 my stuff together. So I don't know. I don't think any of us are probably that brilliant at it unless you're an emergency service worker who are trained, a fireman, policeman. They must be trained doctors to actually cope with that. It must be a natural human trait, is it? to flap or panic because most people would would they Karen or oh, is it know. trainable I think we should ask Howie <laughs> yeah. yeah well see he's an ex-policeman nine years in the police and yeah um but I, you know what I don't know if I just watch him in crises he's I don't know I don't know if I could ever get to where he gets to Danny I don't know. yeah <laughs> literally I'm not kidding he take he he takes himself out. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, he passes out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not the one to actually want you there when there's a crisis, especially if there's blood. My God, do not ask him. If I've ever cut myself in the kitchen, he goes, "Am I going to pass out, or do I need to ring a doctor? Or are you okay?" Like he doesn't even come near me. So there's no help there. I can tell you. Is that the funniest thing ever? Yeah. Oh, that is hilarious. Yeah. He's not a good one to to, to handle, no. Oh, yeah, you, yeah, you, you want my husband. I, I tell you one thing um, that happened when we were traveling around Australia. So the kids were 11, 9, and 7, and we were in Karajini National Park and we were doing Joffrey Gorge. And Joffrey Gorge is a half walk, half float. Um, walk and we were told by the ranger that eh, it takes about two hours and you jump off this um, waterfall into the the water cliff and you can't come back you have to keep going and then he says on the right hand side there'll be a screel slope just walk up and that and you'll be fine well we had been going nearly six hours it was winter so in the day it's 25 degrees in the night it's minus in the in the um, desert and um, we, we, I, I remember looking around at Howard at one stage just in sheer panic and he looks at me and he goes, don't you dare. <laughs> I was like, okay, he's told me what to do, fine. I can't panic, great, good, good. Let's just keep forging forward. 
But I, I remember he just kept making me busy. He'd say, now do this, now go there, now try this and um, keep the kids warm, do this, you know, because it was getting where the sun was going down and it was we had been freezing in the water. And Anyway, we, we got out of it. As you can see, we're still alive, all the whole lot of us. Um, but, yeah, I just think you want someone like that around you when you're in a crisis because I think sometimes when people get into crises, it's they're flapping that um, is their undoing and that, you know, I think about you going back to where we started and let's go mm -hmm. back there, Karen. So if you flat, I wonder if you had not would not have made it. But you obviously didn't flat. You obviously did what you needed to do in order to survive and you did um, non-human type activities by the sounds of it, what you did, you know, you got went through and jumped things and... Uh, went through smokes and fires and so I think you've shown what you're like in a crisis situation for yourself mm. uh, and and that's where we started this whole mm. podcast and where I'd, I'd love to end and I just I think everybody needs to listen to Karen's story again but in a very different light mm. put yourself in her position and you might actually see that um, that I don't know if many people would have survived like you did. I know there were people that did survive, but I'd love to have heard other people that may have been in your position and whether they would have done the same as you. I don't know if I could have. I, do, I really don't. I just, you I just never don't know. know. Mm -hmm. yeah. You never know. Like, I, I, I didn't know myself that way until it happened because I've never been in anything like that. So I didn't know how... I would have, like if somebody had said, what would you do if this was you to me before that had happened, I probably would have just said, oh, my God, I would just freak out. But until you're actually in it and there's no other options, and I think that's the thing. My mum said to me once, the absence of alternatives clears the mind miraculously. <laughs> She's so right. <laughs> <laughs> and it really was that. Like there was no alternative. It was run or burn. And it was, you know, stay alive or die. And that was, there, there was no alternative. So I think when a person's in those sorts of situations, there's this, I always think, you know, that, that the human instinct for survival is actually superhuman. I don't think it's got anything to do with the human side of us at all. Um, you know, so I think that pray, crossing arms, legs, fingers, toes, everything that I have crossing it right now that no one ever has to go through anything like that. And if, the, if, if, if your experience on the snow gave you the insight or foresight for whatever reason that you need it in the future, Cindy, then, you know, thank God and praise the Lord that that's as far as it ever has to go for you, you know, because that's yeah, enough. Indeed. That's enough. Mm. You know, you don't need any more than that. But I think that um, you know, out of today's call, it's been it's been a well, it's been a roller coaster ride for me, up and down, mm. up and down. <laughs> but I but, but I think it's probably been quite a um, insightful. I think a lot of our listeners probably would have stopped in their tracks and maybe not, you know, maybe walked instead of run and turned the vacuum off and sat down and listened, maybe. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I know I did. I turned the vacuum off straight away. <laughs> I don't need an excuse to do that. Yeah, no. 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 Uh, 
But, but I, I just would love to finish just saying um, thank you for the, the conversation, Cindy, because sometimes it's conversations like this that bring us right back into the moment. And if there's any take-home message for me, it's right here, right now. I don't have a crisis. I don't have any issues. And I remember you saying, um, Cindy, well, actually we heard it was actually um, James Colquhoun, you know, when you have your health, you have a thousand goals and dreams. When you don't have your health, you've got one dream. And I think it's moments like this that bring us right back into actually a moment of gratitude. If we're listening to this, if we're saying this, if we're sharing this, we're in a pretty good space. We're in a pretty good place. So I think it's a really beautiful podcast from my perspective as a reminder for having the experience right now of not having a crisis or a drama or a, something that really would rock my world. And yet I've got people around me that are in that. And it's a really beautiful place to be on the outside, giving support and honouring and helping and, and being a friend to those that need it because there will be, without doubt, Karen, you're right, there will be a day where it will be turned, it'll be my turn and I hope that you girls are there for me, you know, and I think it's a really beautiful reminder maybe for us to thank the people that have been there for us in those moments of crisis and have ridden beside us and held our hands and been the wind beneath our wings when we've been flapping and, and being the best support to support us through it because we all do know that this too shall pass and we will come out the other side. It's just how we navigate it when we're in it and... And for that reminder, Karen, that the experiences are always going to come and we are going to have challenges and we are going to have beautiful experiences, I just want to say thank you for reminding me of, of the beauty and pleasure of sometimes the days that seem so mundane are actually some of the most beautiful days when you think of them in the middle of a crisis. You'd give anything for that mundaneness back. Mm. So thank you. Thank you both. And, hug, and, and big hugs and smooches to the people who rescued you, Cindy. Like, yeah. Isn't that yeah. amazing how mm. there are people there, as soon as you call for help, somebody will come and help you. Mm. It's kind of like a knight in shining armour just comes from out of nowhere. We call and them friends. Yeah, and he kept me calm. That was yeah. the most important thing is because he could see I was really quite flustered and he said, can you get your skis on? And I said, I think so. You know, so he... He says, can you ski down? I said, I think so. <laughs> just, anyway, they all just, good. All they good. just give you that bit of direction that you, you can't yeah. think of yourself because you, your mind's not there. Mm. Yeah, it's lovely. Humanity is mm. a lovely thing. So we want to hear from everybody on everything that we've spoken about on today's show. We want you guys to go to our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. And to post your questions and your comments there. Tell us about crises that you've had. Tell, you know, like if you've got any questions for me or questions for Cindy or Kim, just put your questions there for us. We're always going onto that Facebook page, so don't hesitate. Let's get engaged in a conversation that facilitates some healing for everybody. Don't, don't sit in your suffering. You don't need to when there's all of this help around you. You can also go to allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat and you can post your comments there as well. And I also just want to remind everybody that um, when you go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating and then go and tell everybody that you know that, that um, Up For A Chat totes rocks the house. Totes. 
And I also just want to make a little announcement that I didn't precursor with the girls. We've got another overseas tour coming up next year and we're in the process of working out where we're going to go. <laughs> so stay tuned, everybody. We're going to see you right here on Up for a Chat next week, same time, same station, where you get to be part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We're going to see you on the ride. Bye, everyone. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.